what's the only thing besides our name that they can't replicate? You know what the answer is? Customer service. My staff. Yeah. What can't they copy? There's only one thing they can't copy, and that's, I say, that's you. They can't have you, because I have you. <laughs> yeah. If I have you, they can't have you, yeah. right? That's the only thing. So it's my staff that make the difference, and that's the only value added that I have. The only competitive advantage I have over everybody else is my staff, and that's what makes the whole difference. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey everyone, it's the Wolf. Today in the show, we have David Weiss, the first franchisee for an emerging brand called Mayweather Boxing. David already owned six gyms of his own on the East Coast before becoming the first franchisee in the Los Angeles market, and he tells us why he did that. He also explains the power of the Mayweather brand and what it means for this boxing franchise, and why customer service has been his biggest differentiator in business for the last three decades, and coincidentally, how that customer service of his staff helped him find his wife. I hope you enjoy the conversation. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by the Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast. David, I think a good place to start would be, when did you first enter into the Mayweather system? Started with the Mayweather system when the franchise concept was just announced, which was the summer of 2018. Okay. So you were, were you the first franchisee? I was ground floor. Yeah, I was at the, I have a t-shirt that says like, inaugural discovery day. Oh, beautiful. Wow. Okay. August of 18. So it was just announced. And my uh, GM of the clubs back in Boston heard about it. And turns out it was LA-based. I was already in LA. I was living here. One of my partners from Boston flew out. We checked it out. Kind of liked what we saw and started my due diligence at that time. Sweet. I've obviously heard of the brand, but I just think a question on everyone's mind is going to be, is Floyd Mayweather involved at all in this? Or is it just they kind of like licensing his name? Have you met him since being there or like... Yeah, I mean, that was one of my, that's what everybody's first question is. Is it a license? This is a boxing concept. But, you know, what's what you, people don't immediately realize is that this is the first time he's ever put his name on anything, right? There's no Mayweather juice drink. There's no Mayweather vodka. And he is legitimately interested in this. This is what he wants to be his legacy. So he was very much involved. It's not a coincidence that the first thing he put his name on is something to do with boxing, right? I mean, he could have made a lot of money, like, you know, Mayweather Cognac, right? Would have been a big seller, you know, really big in the black community, what have you. But this is the real deal. I mean, he's very much interested in this being around for 20 years. Okay, that's cool. No, I mean, it, it's a natural fit. I mean, obviously, basically, statistically, the best boxer ever, right? And there's a proliferation of boutique fitness concepts and boxing specific ones are kind of a, an umbrella unto themselves. So 
I mean, unless Muhammad Ali comes back from the dead, this is about <laughs> pretty much the man, Mike right? Mike Tyson's still around. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's got Yeah, <laughs> true. I mean, Tyson's a great personality, but he's not the technical boxer that, you know, if you want to learn boxing, you're not really going to learn boxing from Tyson. <laughs> yeah. As, as, you know what I mean? If you really want to learn the sport, you want to learn Floyd's method of, of yeah. boxing. That's great. Uh, so, all right. So that's cool to know. And yeah, it does make sense that he'd be pretty uh, involved in that. So uh, I guess, so before summer 2018, before you bought Mayweather, uh, what were you doing professionally? Well, I've been involved in, in fitness since uh, well before you were born. <laughs> um, in the 80s. I've been in this a long time. I used to be a trainer before there was certification in my day. If you knew what you were doing, I don't know if you remember Nautilus. Remember Nautilus? Nope. Okay, so that shows. The, uh, the older people listening will remember something called Nautilus, which was the first kind of selectorized weight training machines. And if you knew how to use it, you were called a Nautilus trainer. And you would work in a gym and you'd teach people how to use Nautilus machines. And then, you know, after that, trainers became certified and ACE and NASM and all these other companies got involved in certifying trainers. And then I worked as a trainer in Boston and New York City basically as a way to get a free membership because that's what people did. Couldn't afford to, to get a gym membership. You worked as a trainer and that's what I did. And then in the mid eighties, my brother started a company that designed equipment. There was a machine called the lat pull down where you would just pull something down your neck. But in the old days it didn't have a seat. So you would ask people to hold you down. Oh, no way. Wow. It on your shoulders. So he made up a seat that was called the hold me down safety seat. And now it's on every piece of equipment in the world, but he actually invented that seat and I went around the country selling it. So we used to, we were involved in designing a fitness equipment and I would sell it and designing gyms. And from there in 89, we opened our first, my, a different part, my partner and I from Newton, Massachusetts, opened our own, our first health club in Boston. So we called it the Beacon Hill Athletic Club. And that was our first very small 4,500 square foot gym. This is back when health clubs were a fad. Aerobics was just coming yeah, out. Yeah, was that like a boxing focused or was it, or was it just? No, no, just a, basically a square box, little aerobics room and selectorized equipment, like one rack of dumbbells. We bought a treadmill with my MasterCard. Back then it was called MasterCard. <laughs> and we opened in October and we were really profitable by the end of the year. And then we opened another one a couple years later, and we had like six within like three or four years. Okay. And uh, it's been open for 33 years nonstop except for COVID. Same ownership. Just my partner and I own it. We own it with some staff. We've had staff buy into little pieces, and we've given staff some equity in it. We were the first company to um, have staff members become owners with us, which is kind of cool keeps them around. We've had one of our employees with us for over 25 years, which is, we're kind of proud of. He's actually a partner, full partner going forward. Yeah. And we were the first company to have our own in-house charity. And a couple of firsts that we're kind of proud of, but you know, we're most proud of the fact that we've been around for so long in an industry that's, you know, had its ups and downs and survived a lot of tumult. Yeah. I mean, for sure. That's, uh, that's super impressive, man. Yeah, it's, you know, we have a kind of a family feeling of, at the clubs. We had one time, I think our, I think we had nine at one time, had a few leases we didn't renew. Now we have seven. One of them is a sort of a combination mixed martial arts on one floor. Oh, cool. 
It's called Combat Sports Boston, and it's a health club on the other floor. One of them, we tried our hand at a hit studio. Didn't go as well as we thought, and that's back to being a regular health club. But it was much different than we started. When we started, it was a fad that no one ever thought would work. And then we were basically printing money because we were the only club around, and then it became incredibly competitive. And now it's back to, you know, uh, there was tons of competition, then COVID, you know, weeded a few people out, and now we're building it back. So it's been an interesting three-decade ride. Yeah, that's insane. I mean, it, I would imagine it's been pretty tough just as like a private, independent fitness outlet, right? Because, I mean, just especially, I feel like in the last 10 years, you, like you mentioned, you tried a hit studio. I mean, like the Orange Theories, the F45s of the world. I mean, you know, and like Exponential Fitness owns like 10 different brands and... You know, they got like uh, a studio for every type of exercise, whether it's treadmills, rowing based, uh, Pilates, you know, like everything is covered. And so it's just like, there's a lot out there. One of the biggest mistakes that we made is we had an opportunity to be the orange theory of the Boston area. And at that point, this is me admitting some mistakes, right? We all make them, right? And it was a great area. Orange theory was just coming up north. And we thought, you know what? This is such a simple concept. It's just, you know, a hit studio, right? Why should we pay them all this money to do it? So we figured, you know, we could do it ourselves. So we came up with this great concept. We designed a website. We came up with a color scheme and a logo and a name. The name was Zone 5, which I thought was a great name. We had great logo and colors. And we had we used a little bit different heart rate monitors and stuff. And, and it didn't work, even though we thought it was a better concept. And you know why it didn't work? because we didn't spend the money that you need to spend to launch it. Yeah. And when you do a franchise, you have to spend the launch money and the marketing dollars. And we cheaped out and, and that's, it would have been great. It would have been really successful. But you know, in a franchise, you have to follow the rules because they know what works. And even though we'd been around for 20 years, 25 years, and we knew what would have made it work, we didn't follow the discipline and we blew it. And, you know, that's the lesson for even experienced operators like we were. We still could have learned from newer operators that knew business, even though they weren't savvy fitness-wise as we were because we'd been around, we could have learned from them from the business aspect. So I always keep that in mind. You can always learn from someone who's even newer than you are. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they've been a wildly impressive brand. Like, I mean, just the growth and... So we didn't do it. We did our own thing. And I don't know how successful they are in Boston. I know it's been a great, you know, wildly successful brand. Uh, that was definitely an error on our part. We've looked at tons of franchises over the years. A lot of people have come to us to say, hey, look at this, look at that, because we've been in the area for so long. You know, we've been longer than anybody. I think we're the only, well, not the only, but one of the larger privately held fitness companies in Boston. Certainly have the most clubs, I think. You know, that we have seven. So... If somebody wants to launch a franchise in Boston, they're going to come to us and say, hey, take a look at this, take a look at that. And we've, we still haven't done one. That's interesting. So, like, what do you see beyond, obviously, there's major, let's just state the obvious, the brand recognition of Mayweather. What kind of pushed you over the line? We're like, this is the first time I'm going to buy a franchise. That's a good question. You know, back in probably the early 90s, my main partner back east is a guy that I grew up with. I met him actually in... 1966 at his like his fifth birthday party. <laughs> no way that's yeah. awesome it just we had just moved to newton my mom dragged me down the street you got to meet the new kid i was like i'm not going anywhere yeah yeah and, uh, you know known like 50 something years 
60, probably 55 years. Anyway, so we were reading the industry papers and everything. This is before internet and websites and everything. And there was this thing about that boxing was becoming popular around the country. So we got on a plane and we flew around. We went to LA and I think Dallas, a few other cities, to see who was doing this boxing stuff. And back then it was called like executive boxing and white collar boxing and all this. And you know, there were a couple guys just doing this like one-off stuff where it was like boxing without the fight. And you know, it was mostly like moms and stuff. And because, you know, boxers have always been in great shape, right? No surprise. But nobody really wants to get hit. <laughs> so we came up with a program of our own and we called it, we actually made up the name Cardio Boxing. And we were the first to use that word. And we coined it and we trademarked it and we owned the word. Actually, the lawyer kind of screwed up and I think he only trademarked it locally or state. So we don't own it federally or whatever it is. We, we never enforced it. But we were the first to use that name. And we made up a class where it was like an hour-long class, and you got in a room, and we had a timer, a three-minute on, one-minute-off timer, and we did plyometrics, and we did mitt work, and, you know, crunches and all that kind of stuff. And at the end, I put on all this body armor and let people whack me, and, <laughs> and it was a great class. We got all kinds of coverage. We were in all the local news. We were in Vogue, Cosmo, all this kind of, we got tremendous coverage, and it was great. I didn't have the, the sense at that time to franchise it or to market it nationally because had I done so, we wouldn't be having this talk because I'd be on my yacht, you know, in the meds where sipping Cristal and, you know, <laughs> eating caviar. But, and it kind of fizzled because we did, you know, I don't know what happened. It just, in like most things, if you don't keep renovating it, it, it kind of fizzles. But it was a lot of fun and it was a great concept. People loved it. I don't know why we let it fade, but we did. But it was cardio boxing. And, you know, boxing has always been one of the great workouts that's not really boring. And, you know, besides being a great workout for the whole body, you actually get a chance to hit something, which does give you something beyond physical. You know, it gives you some sort of a mental or spiritual release, you know, after a long day or even before that you get something out, you know, which is part of, of the, almost the martial arts type of, of spirituality where there's a release of energy where if you're mad at something or just pent up, you can hit a bag and kind of transfer some of the angst that we have in society and transfer that to the bag, which you don't get from Orange Theory or Row House or F45, whatever else. You just don't get that feeling. You know, you hit a bag, you feel something that really feels good. And besides that, you also learn a skill. You also learn how to protect yourself. It's also empowering, you know, if maybe if you're you know, if you're not a fighter, if you're not big, if you're, can I say female, if you're not used to protecting yourself, boxing is an empowering exercise. Definitely. It gives you a sense of self-confidence, self-empowerment. So the workout of a fighter is a very, a very powerful, a very enlightening workout. If you're going to spend two, three hours in the gym a week, there's nothing better you can do for your body, for your overall persona than this workout. So not to diss my competitors, but if you were to compare it to the other players in the boutique space, this is a really great way to spend your time. Because you're not only doing your whole body, you know, they say that the best workouts are cross country, skiing and swimming. They get the whole body, all your muscles. You get some flexibility, you get cardio, okay? So, but if you look at those workouts, which one of those between boxing and 
cross country skiing and swimming or whatever, which ones can you do in a group with loud music, right? Where it's in a community environment and it's uplifting and you can give people high fives and, you know, and you can learn a skill. Well, there's only really one. You look at Floyd, he's what, 40, what is he, 44, 45 years old? Dude can still fight. He's in great shape. And all boxers, you know, people in that, to be that old in that kind of shape from this workout, because this is the workout that he does, that's why we do it. It's a testament to the workout. And if you're going to spend a couple hours a week staying in shape, you really can't do better. I haven't shared this really like on Twitter or in the podcast or anything, but uh, I was a, I played soccer in college, was a division one athlete. And so, you know, I was able to run a lot. Like I was in pretty good shape. And I remember trying to do some cross training and I took some boxing uh, workouts from just like online from what I Googled. And holy crap, man, those things, they're, yeah, they're tough. It's just like minute of push-ups, minute of crunches, minute of jump roping, and then like 30 second break. And then you're back out and you just do it for like an hour. I was like, this is impossible. Yeah, we get people that are in crazy shape in some sport, whatever it may be, and they come in and they're like, damn, I thought I was in shape. We hear that a lot. We hear like, oh, I thought I was in shape. And that's what you hear. Because, you know, you, you look at boxing, I mean, a boxer does everything. A boxer does weight training, they run, they jump rope, you know, whatever it is, it's the whole body. Upper, lower, core, tons of core. It's, it's everything. So you're, I'm giving a really long, long answer to your short question, which is why this concept, you know, from a physical standpoint, from exercise physiology concept, there's no better workout, essentially. You, you know, some people argue that there's things that are as good, but for the whole body, physically, mentally, spiritually, there's nothing better than the workout of a boxer. Yeah. I guess that it's starting to make sense. Like, right, you've been in the fitness industry for a long time. You were a trainer. This podcast doesn't get released on YouTube, so no one's going to necessarily see what you look like. But, uh, folks, he looks like he still hits the gym. I can tell you that. So he's in shape. Well, you know, I'm going to be 62 in November, and I got an 11-year-old. So I didn't want to be that father that couldn't kick my son's ass when he was <laughs> 50. You know what I mean? You owe it to your kids to be able to play tennis with them or go skiing with them when they're 15, 16, 17, whatever. It's just that's my responsibility as a dad. So I got to be in shape. And I knew that my whole life. My dad was that way as best he could, right? Well, he got very ill at 59 and 60 from a disease. But if you have the option to be in shape and you believe in family, then you got to do it. So I had both hips replaced and I'm going to probably have to have my knees replaced, but I'm going to do that because I want to be able to ski with my kids when I'm 70 or 75 or 80 or whatever it is. You know, I'm going to do that and, and have fun with my family. I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great commitment to staying active, staying healthy, and... Um... Plus, otherwise, I'd go out of my mind, personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy, you know? So, you clearly have a passion for just fitness and health in general. But, like, I guess, beyond that, I mean, naturally, right, the, the economics of a business take a priority, even if it's a passion project. So, like, what did you see about Mayweather that, I guess... Because, I mean, you're the number one franchisee, so a lot of people listening to this are probably thinking I would never be the first franchisee because half the reason I'm buying a franchise is because it's proven out via 50, 100, 200, however many locations. Whereas you're the guy, you jumped in basically after they had one location in Los Angeles. Uh, so like, yeah, I guess like, what did you see where you're like, I can get a return on this investment? Good question. The concept is good. I mean, boxing, right? Can't go wrong with it. There's no better exercise. You got Floyd's name. Okay. That's a big, that's a big hype man for the brand. 
I'm not a franchise expert, but what's Floyd's name worth? Is it worth a couple of percent? Is it worth 10%? Is it worth 5%? Who knows? But it's worth a lot of money. It's worth a lot of money. Okay. So you're paying 6 7% a year, whatever it is now, and you're getting Floyd's name and a shit ton of everything else. Tons of support. The company's run by a really smart guy with a law degree and a master's from Wharton and years at Bain and a whole bunch of 30 people, 30 whatever under him. So you're getting real estate expertise and financial and, and marketing and retail, a whole company. You're getting a whole company, basically. All this stuff for a reasonable franchise fee and a reasonable annual royalty and Floyd's name for like well under 10% a year. So it was a great deal, great deal. That's why franchising is so popular, right? You can go in there with knowing nothing and you can be successful. Now I know more than nothing about fitness. So it was a, you know, it made sense to me, but for anybody, it's a really good deal. It's a really good deal from a financial perspective. So you got boxing, you got the Mayweather name, and you got a really good support team, really smart people, right? That from all parts of Orange Theory and UFC and all these other companies that are working at Mayweather. And, you know, so a really great team. And I spent a lot of time not knowing anything about franchising when I came in. I'd heard a lot of horror stories about the franchisor competing with franchisees and making money at the expense of franchisees. And I won't mention names because that's probably not cool, but I knew of one company in fitness that actually had put franchisees out of business by opening stores right next to them. And I was like, how can I get away with that? You know, Mayweather makes money when the franchisees make money. They're very franchisee forward. And I totally trust them, totally get what their mission is. They're totally into supporting the franchisee. They don't put franchisees like next to each other. There's the whole world available. Yeah. It's very ground floor. And the whole concept makes sense. They're, they're, every question I asked, was answered the right way. I remember once I said to uh, James Williams, who's the CEO, who is the kind of guy I can see ha having a long future with because we really agree with one another. He's just an honest, smart, hardworking guy. And I remember one of the first things I said is, James, you got a law degree, you got an MBA from Wharton, you worked at Bain, which from Boston, I know a lot about Bain. Bain's like the pinnacle. He worked with Beyonce and he had an interesting career. What's the deal with this? I mean, if this thing goes south, you're screwed. Floyd, he's a mercurial cat. Everybody knows him, but not everybody likes him. <laughs> I mean, everybody respects him as a boxer, but you know, he's had a bit of a checkered past. And I said, if I'm getting into bed with this guy, you know, did you ever have the, some of the same questions that I might have? You know, what if something goes wrong? What if he does something that's not really cool? And he said, look, I had the same issues when I first met the guy. But you got to understand that this is a guy who grew up in a shithole. Mother was on drugs and dad was this and he had no support. He did not grow up like you and I grew up. Did not grow up in a caring, supportive household. Basically, is it okay for us to throw stones? I mean, maybe we should admire what he did with his life. And he basically vouched for Floyd. He said, look, I know him, he's a family guy. He's come up through, that's in the past. And he said, he's a new person, he's not that way. He's a 
kind, philanthropic, sincere, generous person. And he believes in this concept and we're gonna make this right. And that made a big impact on me. I met him, I've heard him speak and decided to make a major investment and buy the West LA territory. Awesome, and how many locations does that entail? I can build like six. Six, wow, all right, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I've been offered other pieces too, like Redondo Beach, which is gonna be my next one, isn't really the west side officially, it's more of a beach city. But yeah, I'm gonna do that, that's next. And then we have Culver City open now, and then Redondo Beach will be second, then Brentwood, then we're gonna do like Santa Monica, Marina, Beverly Hills, and then I'm gonna look at Boston. And you know, I've told James, I'd really love to do like two cities that I love, or Tel Aviv and Tokyo. I'd love to spend some time there. That would be cool. I have never been to Tel Aviv, but heard a lot of good things. It's like a Mediterranean, like similar to San Diego type weather, right? Yeah, you know what they say about Tel Aviv is like, if you go to any city in the world, you can kind of watch the world go by, but in Tel Aviv, the world goes through you. Like that's a really a way to describe Israel. Cause like so much happens in a heartbeat, like in 10 minutes there, you know, it's a really good way to explain Tel Aviv. There's so much going on at one time. The whole, like all the world's religions in one like square mile and just so much going on. I gotta get off Twitter and uh, experience the world <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> I'd love to, um, and it's so American there. I mean, you know, you could put three Mayweathers in Tel Aviv easily. They'll spend 200 bucks a month on fitness there. It's almost like, I mean, the culture isn't largely like we have here. The spending patterns are like we have here. And Tokyo is just, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's just- No, like, I haven't. I, I want to visit Asia though. It's insane. It's like New York on steroids and clean, but clean and no crime. Tokyo's like- Amazing. Great place, yeah crazy place. That's my longer term. After Boston, I'll do Boston next and, and gotta clone myself. Yeah. Well, so when was your first location open? Was it during COVID that it opened up for the first time? No, it would have been before COVID. Mayweather started and then basically stopped right when it started. In fact, my friend, uh, Sarah opened, she has Chicago and she opened and then COVID came and shut her down. And then she reopened, and then that same night got broken in and robbed from the George Oof. Floyd riots. So, I mean, for some people, the timing was horrendous. I feel so bad for her. But for me, we were going to open, and then COVID hit, and we got delayed like six months. And then we opened Culver City, and basically the day we opened, LA County eased the mask order. Beautiful. So we opened literally like last days of March of this year with no masks. You can you didn't knock on some wood somewhere. Because <laughs> COVID killed me in Boston. We, I didn't get a paycheck for two years, my part and I. We paid our staff, borrowed money, paid our staff, but we didn't get, we didn't draw a check forever. But here it's, I can't say COVID's been good because that's like saying happy Memorial Day. You know, it'd been okay here. We just opened, we've opened for like two months and it's been going well, no complaints. As long as COVID stays at bay, we'll be great. How does it, and you know, we don't have to talk specifics, but I'm curious, you know, I know a lot of, we had an F45 franchisee on this podcast, and I think you, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you listened to that episode. They have like uh, their whole like model basically revolves around once you get a certain number of members uh, on the monthly plan, like your break even, and then after that, it starts becoming profitable. I can't remember the number for F45, but is that similar to how Mayweather works? Like just monthly memberships? 
you know, there's a certain amount of revenue that you get from like drop-ins and guests and all that kind of stuff and retail or personal training or water or whatever it is. But for sure, your bread and butter is your EFT, which is a factor of your monthly membership. And that's absolutely the case with us. And where we are, I mean, maybe the model, and I think this probably goes with all boutiques, is your membership dues really need to be in line with your rent. So there is probably Mayweathers around the country where, you know, the unlimited class, which is the higher end, is probably like 129 a month. But their rent is probably maybe six or seven grand a month. Where I am in Culver City, my rent is probably closer to 20,000 a month. But my dues will be, you know, when we're fully going, will be between 200 and 250 a month. And, you know, that's largely a factor of the rent. In Brentwood, you know, you can imagine what the rents are in Brentwood or Beverly Hills. It's the highest in the country. When you're paying the dues in Culver City, for example, which, I mean, I'm in the lobby of the new HBO Discovery Warner headquarters, which is a fairly exclusive part of the city, right? So parking downstairs is $18. So when you come to my gym, the parking's included. So you're paying that in your dues, right? So when you're paying your $200 a month or whatever it is, you're getting parking or eight or 10 times a month. That's what's expected. So you have to consider the whole idea of being able to come to a studio, be in the park, come in, get your workout in and be out of there in an hour. It's not just the workout, it's the experience. And that's really what we're offering is we're offering an experience to break out of your day, go to a place where you're, you're, you're going to be known, you're going to be welcomed, you're going to have a phenomenal workout, you're going to be treated the way you're, you know, you want to be treated. It's not like going to Planet, again, nothing against Planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's a whole, it's an entirely different experience. And an hour later, you're out of there on your way to work, a completely transformed person right? And what's that worth? Is that worth, you could make a pretty good argument that that's worth a couple hundred bucks. A yeah. Month. Oh, definitely. No, for sure. And I mean, I think like prices naturally, uh, they should fluctuate based on the standard of living in the market. I mean, of course, that's the boutique model right there. Yeah. I mean, that's it. My clubs in Boston, people are walking to them, they're getting a workout, but it's not, it's a whole different, it's a whole different. I mean, you're not buying a, uh, like the old saying, you don't buy a Chevy at a Cadillac dealer. This is when Cadillac was a fancier car than it is now. But it's a level of expectation that you have to make sure people are getting. And this is what I tell my staff all the time. Everybody that walks in the door, you have to change. This hour you have with them, you've got to change their life for that hour. They have to leave a different person than when they came in. And that's really what, that's the whole mantra of the boutique experience. But I've always felt, you know, this is what I've been preaching the staff at our gyms in Boston, which are non-boutique, but still, you know, we're still hoping to change people's day and change their lives. You know, they're giving you money to come to your place of business. It's, you know, it's still all about customer service. We're in the fitness business, but it's hospitality. That's what it is. Definitely. No, I love that. I think, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, a lot of businesses at the end of the day do just come down. I mean, there's so much that goes into it to get them in the door. And like, you have to provide some type of product or service, right? That makes it worth it. But like, once you add and layer in a top-notch customer service experience on top of it, it's like, wow, like killer business right there. That gets down to what we do differently. And the one thing I always told 
everybody who works with me is that, you know, there's really only one thing that we can do that's different from what everyone else can do. I mean, Rumble or Nine Round or Title, whoever it is, they can move in right next to me and they can put in the same square footage, they can buy the same equipment, they can get the same music, they can get the same equipment, TVs, flooring, right? And I ask, this is what I usually ask in an interview, I say, what's the only thing besides our name that they can't replicate? And you know what the answer is? Customer service. My staff. Yeah. What can't they copy? There's only one thing they can't copy, and that's, I say, that's you. They can't have you, because I have you. <laughs> yeah. If I have you, they can't have you, yeah. right? That's the only thing. So it's my staff that make the difference. And that's the only value added that I have. The only competitive advantage I have over everybody else is my staff. And that's what makes the whole difference. And that's why I invest so heavily in my staff and treat them like family and and. Most of my time is spent on, I don't say staff training, but staff acknowledgement, staff appreciation, staff family building, I guess. I do things that I don't think anybody else does to build a sense of cohesiveness. Certain things I probably don't want to tell, but there are things that I do to make sure my staff feels really close to one another. And that's why in Boston, for example, over 32 years, my main guy's been there at 25. Other guys have been there for 20, 18, 14, because of the way that we run it. I think the retention, yeah, it's such a, you know, over time can be really validating. I'll tell you one story. Okay, this is a good story. <laughs> I think it's a good story. There was a young lady named Claire who was a member of my Newton gym. Let's go back. This is probably in the late 90s. And she wasn't using the gym much, so she went in to cancel. And I had a manager at the time named Mike Morin. Mike is no longer working for us because he left and started his own gym company in Rhode Island. He's been pretty successful. But at the time, Mike said, Claire, I can't let you quit. We love having you around. Let me buy you coffee and maybe put you on free. So make a long story short, he goes out and he buys her a cup of coffee. I mean, just leaves the desk, goes next door, buys a cup of coffee, convinces her to stay. So she stays. He just wouldn't let her quit. Gave her a few reasons why she shouldn't quit. It was, you know, winter or whatever it was. She decides to stay. And three months later, I meet her at the gym, and I ended up marrying her. No way. That's my wife, Claire. I did not see that coming. <laughs> so it's a true story. We've been married 19 years. And it, it just shows you that, you know, had Mike not been such a great customer service and retention-based manager, Claire would, would have quit. We would have lost a member. And the funny thing is I still have somewhere framed her member contract. Back then we used paper ones, and we have it somewhere. So it shows you the importance and the serendipity of, you know, not letting a member leave without doing your best. I mean, you went out and bought a cup of coffee, and that was enough to get her to stay. That's amazing. So isn't that a funny story? Yeah. Holy crap. I mean, true, very true. You never know. Don't let people leave unless you, yeah. you know, do your best to keep them there. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I love that. Well, that's, that's a good note that, uh, we can end off on. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, yeah, look, man, uh, David, thanks a lot for coming on. 
Hey, it's my pleasure. Is there anywhere, you know, online, if people want to follow along Mayweather or your journey, like LinkedIn or Twitter that? We're on uh, Instagram at Mayweather Culver City. We're on Facebook, Mayweather Fit Culver City. Obviously the website, the same thing, Mayweather Fit Dash Culver City. I'm always happy to help fellow business owners. I get a lot of calls from people who are thinking about doing a franchise and I'm always happy to, uh, I first want to say, I have a lot to learn, but I'm always happy to share what I do know. I have an obligation to share my experience, but whatever expertise I do have with anyone I can help, I'd be happy to. Beautiful. Yeah, we'll link to those handles in the show notes so people can check them out. Happy and to. yeah, thanks again, David. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's great to meet you guys. Thanks for listening to Franchise Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. Listen.